Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Wednesday, June 26th, 2019. And this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Well, today we are reading from the big book and we are in the chapter more about alcoholism on page 36, the very first paragraph, which begins, yet he got drunk again, concentrating our comments on the one paragraph. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Chris G., the 12 traditions, Carmela G., um, and readers of the text are Leon B. and Ginger C. The share ID numbers for Tuesday, June 25th for the 7 a.m. meeting is 13,074. 13074. And for the 10 a.m. meeting is 13,076. 13076. Our newcomer greeter this morning is going to be Amy K, and the 8 a.m. host is Nadia B. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, uh, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And a vision for you, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Chris G. to read OA's 12 steps. Good morning, everybody. This is Chris G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Connecticut. Thank you, everyone, for your service this morning. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, 
were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Chris G. I will now ask Carmela. Carmela, is it C or G? G, Anita. Carmela? G, G yes. yes. Okay, great. Uh, to do uh, to read our twelve traditions. Thank you. Thank you. The twelve traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority: a loving God, as He may express Himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully supporting declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you so much, Carmela G. How how our meeting works. 
Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we are resuming our study of the big book and we are on page 36 in the chapter more about alcoholism. Um, and we will be reading the first paragraph, which starts, Yet he got drunk again, concentrating on the one paragraph. And I will now ask Leon B. to get us started. Good morning, Leon. Leon, press star one. I know you're there. You're just trying to unmute. You're giving everyone a chance to get to page 36 and read that first paragraph. Can, can you hear me now? Now I can. Wonderful. Okay. Sorry. Um, this right. is Leon B. Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Simpsonville, South Carolina. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar, for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still, no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. You know, when what I get from this is the is the start of some buildup of some human emotions that I've learned since I've been in this program. You know, he starts out, you know, stating, "I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman." 
for a concern I once owned, and who wouldn't be upset that they now have to work for a place that they used to own? I would probably go crazy. But I think about the part of the big book when you said I felt irritated. The part of the big book that says that states the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. And he's setting himself up for a drunk, for a drink. And he should have, you know, trying to apply what's already been been taught to him by, by Bill and Bob, he should have stopped, you know, you know, and applied some of the, the spiritual solution. You know, he obviously had some resentments about working at this place he wants on, and who wouldn't? You know, but I don't think he took the time to stop and look at his dishonesty, his fear, his selfishness, and what he had done to to lose that place in the in the first place. You know, where you see where he failed in the previous paragraph, and it was says he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. So he didn't pray, he didn't ask for God to to remove the the, the character defects, the things that were were blocking him, and he sure didn't think about making an outreach call to to Bill or Bob and he was having these resentments and thoughts. So he had no spiritual solution to apply. So so what takes over? You know, this mental obsession. The obsession drove him. The obsession drove him. These thoughts. He had no mental defense against the first drink. We'll learn tomorrow what, what he did. But the big book tells us, and even at the end of this of this um story, end of this uh, chapter, it says our mental defense must come from a higher power, and I pass it Thank you so much, Leon, for getting us started. Who else, if you haven't shared in the last um, two days on the 7 a.m. meeting, please, Lisa we would B. love no. to hear. Are, are Katie G. from Boston. Kim no, wait a minute. from New Jersey. Oh. Wait a minute. Look at this. Oh. This is wonderful. Laura. There's Kim, Kim G. from Philadelphia. I've got... I've got and did got, you get KDG? I have just a minute. I'd like to tell you who I got, and there are people that I've missed in there. We have um, Lisa B, and we have KDG, but there was a person in between them. And I have Kim Laura. G, and I have Barbara E, but there are other people. Lauren who are N. A. Lauren N. Harlan G. Janet B. <laughs> And who is that R? Who is the person R? Nessa. Nessa. Okay. I'm going to stop right here. Well, look, it. I've got six people and and a bunch of other voices, so I know we're going to have a wonderful share today. So we're going to go in this order. It may not be the right order, but it's our order. Lisa B, Nessa R, Katie G, Kim G, Lauren N., Barbara E., and Harlan G. All right. Lisa B., good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And this is such an electric meeting. I'm so happy to be here. And I know that we're going to hear some amazing, amazing shares. I uh, wanted to share where I am today in my program with this paragraph. So I'm recovered. And the other day I was walking in Whole Foods getting my meat for the week. And all of a sudden, my eye, I thought to my head, you know, my mind thought, I used to binge regularly on healthy foods, (laughs) you know, organic and all that stuff. 
And I thought about these cookies that I used to eat regularly at Whole Foods. In fact, many times I would eat them and not pay for them. I would eat them while I was walking around the aisle. And um, I've made amends for that. Thank you, God. But um, I thought, oh, I wonder if those cookies are still there. And I caught myself, why am I thinking about that? And I kept saying, don't look, don't look. And I walked out of the store, went home, and that gnawed at me. And um, thank you, God. I did pick up the phone, and I called a recovered compulsive overeater, and I shared this with her. You know, and that's, that's where I am today in my program. So he says, yet he got drunk again, and he's telling his story. So this is how it happens. It's the buildup of emotion. So there were like three different emotions that were going on that had happened, boom, boom, boom. And I needed to address it. I needed to share it with a fellow in the form of a 10-step, so I'm not just going on with a long, long story. And I was able to be of service not only to myself, but to share it with another. I'm constantly sharing very small, minute things. Anytime I'm disturbed, I will pick up the phone and I do a 10-step. I have to because this is how it happens. It's those small little things that drive me crazy um, that I don't even know are driving me crazy because I'll say to myself, it's no big deal. You'll work it out. You know, you'll get it figured out, and you're feeling fine now. So this is what the book is teaching me, and that's why I know we're going to hear maybe some better shares than what I'm sharing that will help people understand that it's the mind that takes me to these things. And the other thing is, you know, that he has not really, I think what we read the other day is that he made a beginning. He has not enlarged his spiritual life. And that's what I have to do every day. And that's what I do in working with others with this fellowship. So the other thing I wanted to share is that I think that I know when it's going to happen and what it's going to look like. I don't know. My sick mind can't heal my sick mind. And even though I'm recovered today, I still can't just live in my mind and let that direct me. I have to place myself in position to receive my higher power's help. And that comes through working with others in 10 steps and having people be there for me, helping me. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lisa B. All right. Good morning, Nessa R. You are next and then Katie G. Hi, um, this is Nessa R. Did you call on me? I was unmuting, so I wasn't sure. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, great. Go Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my name is Nessa R., and I am a recovery compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I love the story of Jim because it shows me more than any of the other stories how truly cunning, baffling, and powerful this disease is. You know, um, it clearly, clearly brought to my mind the fact that I set myself to fail and my mental obsession sets me up long before I even think about the actual food, you know, in all these little seemingly unimportant, seemingly unrelated decisions that I make throughout my day, you know, uh, Jim decided to drink from the moment he said, I felt irritated. If you felt irritated, why didn't you do a 10 step? And then he decides, okay, I'm just going to drive to the country. You know, maybe I'll find a buyer for the, for the car. Like, who finds a driver for a car in a restaurant in, a, in the country? I mean, I don't know how it was in, in the 1930s, but I, 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 you know, somehow I don't think that that's, you know, very reasonable. You know, and, and I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. You know, I've gone way out of my way, you know, driving up north because there's this, this great bulk store 
where they have the only place where they have my kids' favorite snack, you know. Um, and I would drive all the way there just to buy that snack. And guess what? It wasn't just that snack. And, and my, my mind plays these tricks on me, you know. Maybe if my mind would say, you know what, Nessa, go and, and, and get three bags of potato chips and two cheesecakes and eat them, maybe I wouldn't pay attention. But when he tells me, you know what, you know, you really love your kids and they really love these snacks, so, you know, like a good mom, go and, you know, and those are lies that I can believe, you know, that I give myself permission to believe, seemingly unimportant, unrelated decisions, you know, you know, and one of my favorite lies that I tell myself, oh, well, this is an abstinent food, you know, so it's okay for me to have, you know, like three pounds of, I, I, I don't know, broccoli at three o'clock in the afternoon, um, you know, and it's not, it's not, you know, anything that's abstinent is what I weigh and measure and put on my plate uh, at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that's it. There's no such thing as an abstinent food, but my mind plays these tricks on me with all these little, little decisions, you know, and it sneaks up on me without me even noticing. So what is the answer there? The answer is I have to be on the ball with the steps. You know, I am abstinent. I am entirely abstinent. I have to be on the ball with the steps. I have to pause and say, okay, you know, what's really happening here? You know, the food's starting to get loud. Or maybe the food doesn't start to get loud, but I'm starting to think crazy. So pause, do a 10-step, work the steps, you know, that the answer is in the steps. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nessa R. All right. Good morning, Katie G. And then it'll be Kim G. Good morning, Anita. Good morning. This is Katie G. Recovered in Boston. And I, yeah, I mean, this is just a perfect example that supports what my first AA sponsor said, which is that, um, and I'm in OA, um, eating will be a step up from my thinking if I do not take care of this thinking that everybody's been talking about. And I love that he tells his story. And what is story? A lie, an account of incident, fictional, narrative. Like when people call me to do a 10-step, what I've been taught is don't tell me the story. I got a story for you. You know, my husband, he doesn't communicate with me on my terms. And look at, look at, I'm so loving. I'm so, this is what happened. You know, I did all this. No, 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 no. I look at my husband, the cause, what he did wrong, according to my sick thinking, and where am I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and afraid. And what I find so interesting is, you know, nowhere in the book does it say, I look for my part. It says, I look for my mistake. And I had a spiritual awakening when somebody taught me that. Because if I'm saying my husband has a part and I have a piece of paper, <laughs> well, or excuse me, if I'm saying I have a part, my husband has a part. And frankly, that piece of paper with my husband is going to be a lot bigger, right? And, um, you know, I can be really justified in how I'm thinking. Like, look at me. I have a 12-step program. Um, you know, and, and what I'm learning, thank you, God, is nowhere, like our previous shows have said, nowhere does it say, oh, you know what, Katie, you have a really small, justifiable resentment. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Actually, it says resentment is going to kill me, right? And so I may have, like, I just love the words here, right? I have no intention of eating. I thought. And then I go right into a justification, and then eating is a step up. So thank you, God. And, um, you know, it's been a refining process for me. Um, 
I never ate over the big stuff. I could, I always ate over the little stuff. And, and what's been helpful for me, because sometimes, you know, I've been teaching women or not teaching, but like talking to them about step 10s. I really had to start getting in touch with what it feels like to have a little resentment, what it feels like to have a very small tweak, a screwdriver, a snub, a judgment, right? Because if I'm judging someone, I find them guilty, and that's a resentment. And so I just want to encourage everyone on the line, like, this is a process. And the more I get into the steps, right, the more I get into prayer and meditation and to connectivity and a state of entire abstinence, the more I get on to my disease. And the more I, I'll just wrap up with this, the other day when I did that step 10 on my husband, what I did was immediately throw myself harder into being of service to my family, to others, and into prayer. And it lifted. And thank you, God, I'm abstinent and recovered today. And with that, I passed. Thanks so much, Katie G. All right, it'll be Kim G right now, and then Lauren N. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a, I've been recovered um, since January 2011. And uh, you know, I often feel this paragraph kind of gets ignored because um, everyone loves the next paragraph, right? The suddenly, the whiskey in the milk, ha ha ha. But the suddenly to me represents white knuckled one day at a time abstinence, having to be on guard, vigilant, vigilant, militant abstinence, you know, being trying to be abstinent by things like halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, avoiding people, places, and things, avoiding their triggers. It's all about the allergy, right? So what we're reading now, this paragraph is all about my thinking. So what if I can access a power that removes this thinking? That my friend that my friend is recovery. That is what the twelve steps offer. And the treatment for this thinking is the mental twist, right? So what does it look like with this thinking when I'm untreated? untreated when I'm <laughs> so it says here that we are that he is irritated. And this is a gentleman who has lost, lost his business and his family business. I personally would be enraged. You know, I don't know that you guys, you guys like to be all part. part. And then and so I will tell everyone that I'm on. Are you, are you, Speaker Kim? I will say, are you on? No, no, I think the hack, I think the hacker is trying to join in with us right now. But I think that's what's happening. Um, so the, uh-huh. and actually, let's, let's use that. So see how the heckler is distracting? See how the um, reverberations of me talking is distracting. That is a good example of untreated compulsive overeating. How can I get comfortably abstinent with all those distractions? And I often think, too, when it, we often hear about, you know, that he's having this other glass of milk and this other, um, this other sandwich in this. And I've even heard Joe and Charlie say, well, that's not a problem unless you're a compulsive overeater. And I have to tell you, I don't see it that way. You know, my, I see it as me sitting in a Panera bread. I like tea, and I'm having cup of tea after cup of tea until I finally have the excuse to order the bagel. So I don't even know if he had that second sandwich. He's looking for an excuse to hang out until he has that mental twist just let him have that, that bagel. So if you're part of the 90%, if you're the moderate eater or the heavy eater, and honestly, the next paragraph we're going to read tomorrow suddenly is enough for you because you can use all these diet techniques and you don't, you're, you're going to be okay. But if you're part of the 
with the allergy to the body and the mental twist, then that living on the suddenly is the alcoholic torture. But it's so uncomfortable that we're going to have to pick up. So I'm just going to finish with this. I have two truths today. I believe to the core of my soul that I am experiencing permanent recovery because of working these steps. I never need to eat again as long as I work these steps. But I also believe if I stop working the steps, I will probably pick up within three or four days because this thinking, this mental twist will require me to pick up the food. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Katie. Uh, Kim. Laura, and you're next, followed by Barbara E. Thank you, Anita. Did you call Lauren in? I did, yes. Thank you, Anita. Wow. This is Lauren Ann, compulsive overeater, sugar addict from New York. Um, boy, can I relate to what um, uh, what this this whole section? No awareness of of what's going on in my brain and wondering why. I'm adding whiskey to my milk. Like, whiskey to my milk doesn't happen, but putting a little bit of salt or having a little bit of extra um, extra fruit or having a little extra this or picking while I'm, I'm cutting up vegetables or um, grazing, which is one of my favorite things to do. All of that comes in without realizing that I'm having feelings. It's when I don't do what I need to do to stay sober that I have these problems and that I pick up. When I don't do my 10th step, when I don't do my 11th step, when I don't pray, when I don't reach out to others, when I don't talk to others, when I don't call other people, that's when I have a problem. Thank you, God, I'm not there today. And as uh, one of our prior um, qualifiers just mentioned, I I'm as sober as my last time that I don't pick up the phone when I don't reach out. That doesn't make any sense what I just said, but you know what? It makes complete sense to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Well, thank you. All right. After Lauren came, is coming Barbara E. and then Harlan. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, America and beyond. Wonderful day out. Wonderful shares. My insanity was my state of mind, which prevented any normal perception. The madness that allowed me to binge all night and then wake up in the morning thinking, what the heck was I thinking? Well, I wasn't. Have you ever gone out deliberately to binge? I have. Sometimes binging on red light foods just for the thrill of seeing I could get away with it. Have you ever gained 10 pounds in a single weekend? I have. Have you ever had an exhausting day like I had 
and then going into Dunkin' Donuts for a cup of coffee that you never got, accompanied by a dozen donuts, which you can consume all on the, all on the way home, a perfect example of a sud, a sudden unhealthy decision. The trouble was the ease and comfort didn't last long. And once giving in, I lost all power to stop when I wanted to. I had no control, but it was my disease controlling me. My disease was always negotiating with, with me. You'll just eat till midnight. You can have just one. Would anyone say that to an alcoholic? My giant ego, better known as my disease, would say, I got this, God. I think I can take it from here. My past experience tell me, tells me this is just insane, delusional thinking. I have to surrender every day and mean it and keep working every day, making amends as necessary, doing 10 step, steps so I continue to improve. And finally, most importantly, by joyfully paying it forward by working with others focusing on unity, service, and recovery. I had to humbly accept there was no destination on my OA subway line where I could safely get off and wave goodbye to you as you searched for the recovery you so desperately needed. And why would I want to get off? It's a beautiful train filled with people I care for and recovery I'm grateful for. My spiritual condition is dependent on the actions I take today, not yesterday or the ones I hope to take tomorrow. For me, my surrender and the hope and faith that I finally found, at first through the fellowship offered in the rooms, and finally and most importantly through the pages in this book, led me to a solution much better than the fleeting sense of ease and food ever gave me. Thank you, brothers and sisters. I pass. Thank you so much, Barbara E. And now, Harlan from Arizona. <laughs> Thank you, Anita. Good morning, and thanks for your service. I am Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's take a look at this paragraph, because it's a parable from the Common Sense of Drinking by Richard Peabody, written in 1931. He came to work on Tuesday morning probably had a little conversation with the boss that went something like, Say, Jim, where were you yesterday? Where in the heck were you? Bad about Mondays, bad about Mondays. He felt irritated. He was jealous. He was angry. He was frustrated. What's the message here? The message here is that food or liquor is never the problem that it is the solution to the problem. The problem is the buildup of everyday, normal, human emotions. Now let's take a look at something else that's kind of hidden in these first two paragraphs of the page. The pronoun I appears 19 times in the paragraph that we read today and seven times in the paragraph that we will start with tomorrow, 26 times in these two paragraphs, the pronoun I appears. Never is the pronoun you or them used because he is not thinking of anybody else. He is only thinking of himself. 
And one of the deepest and darkest manifestations of this disease is the self-involvement, this self-obsession. And when I go to page 570, and on page 570 in Appendix 3, which is called the Medical View on AA, it says on page 570, in this atmosphere, I'm in the middle of the paragraph, the alcoholic often overcomes his excessive concentration upon himself. He overcomes his obsessive concentration upon himself. What was Jim's caveat here? What was his, the hole that he sunk down? All he could think of was how pathetic his life had sunk. And what did he do? Can I relate to this? He did the one thing that destroyed his life. He's going to order some whiskey. In the next paragraph, he's going to order some whiskey. The food that had ransacked my life, the food that held deep, horrible tyranny over my life was what I turned to in those moments where the emotions had built beyond reason. Only the steps, only God, only a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps will give me temporary respite from the buildup of those emotions. And if I do not work the steps, and I do not have a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps, I will eat myself to death because the pain of not eating will be too much for me to bear. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Helen. Uh, for those who came in late, we are reading one paragraph on the uh, top of page 36. Yet he got drunk again. And give me five more names on this. Nancy H. Nancy H. Okay. Ginger C. Leah M. Okay, wait a minute. Uh, I just want to get these. Eileen from New Jersey. All right, and we'll stop with Eileen. Maybe we'll have time for more, but I just want to make sure we get you all in. All right. Nancy H., Jason K., Ginger C., Leah M., and, and Elaine, or Eileen, Elaine or Eileen from New Jersey. All right. Good morning, Nancy H. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. Um, when I first read, heard this paragraph being uh, read this morning, I, I immediately could see the, the warning signs as he went along, and I saw, the first thing I saw was I felt irritated, you know, because of the, being a salesman for concern he owned. And then I had a few words with the boss, and each time that I saw this, I kept saying, yep, here comes the mental obsession. Yeah, oh, failure to do step 10. And I know how important it is to do that step 10 because um, – Lately, what's happened with me is I keep getting told, which I don't enjoy, keep getting told, go write for five minutes and then call me back. And sure enough, I write and I say, but there's nothing wrong. There's nothing bothering me right now. I don't know why I would feel like eating. And then I go and I write, and within three minutes, something has come up that I wasn't even thinking about that was bothering me, and I was blaming it on all these other things. And for me, um, the mental obsession kicks in there, and, and it just sends me into oblivion. 
And and the thing is, it's not the food. I kept thinking that the, someone just said, I kept thinking that the food was the problem. And I kept thinking if I could lose weight, uh, if I could get a decent weight, oh, boy, if I lost two pounds this week, I'm really doing well. That was the game that I was playing, and I wasn't letting go to God all my entire life. And I finally, somehow, this week had just come to the um, conclusion that I'm still trying to control the food by, you know, I, I write my food plan, I commit it. I'm not saying that's not a good thing to do because I needed that at the beginning. But right now, it's a form of control for me. So, and when I have no intention of drinking, eating, um, it's usually because I don't think there's a problem. But if I omit one little tenth step, um, that something that's irritating me, and just think that's not that big a deal, I can I can deal with that on my own. I'm going to get into trouble because I'm not enlarging my spiritual life, and I'm not also um, calling people when I need to. So for me, this is the great uh, paragraph in the sense that, well, there's been plenty of good sharing, I'm sure, better than mine. And But, you know, when he said he's a uh, customer, he found a customer, he thought he'd see one. I'm thinking to myself, at a truck drive, you know, a truck stop, he's going to find a customer for a car. Well, I might be judging him, and I might be saying, you know, that's ridiculous. But that's the way I think when I'm when I'm into eating. You know, maybe I'll stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get myself a coffee. Well, that never ends with a coffee, so I don't go there anymore. So anyway, I'm very grateful this morning to be sharing. I'm grateful that I could listen to all this good sharing because it just shows me how much how important it is to not let things ride on my back and just you know let the, the buildup of human emotions, as they say. It's just not. It just doesn't uh, work for me if I let it go. So thank you for letting me share. Thanks so much, Nancy H. Thank you. Jason K. and then Ginger C. Good morning. Good morning. This is Jason K., recovered compulsive eater and bleeding outside of Philadelphia. And, um, you know, looking at Jim, looking at his story, you know, he made a beginning, but he felt to enlarge his spiritual life. And uh, I love what Harlan says about this selfishness and self-centeredness, moving about our days, focused on ourselves, excessive preoccupation on our own concerns, our own desires, and for me, I, I, I encourage people to make this personal, you know, what's your mental twist, what does your mind tell you, how does it take you back again and again and again to the food, because it could be a lie, it could be a lie that I'm just going to get just one simple thing at that convenience store, maybe something healthy, it could be the truth, oh, that looks really good, that'll make me feel better, guess what, it does look really good in our minds, it does make us feel better for a short time and then it stimulates that phenomenon of craving, and we don't stop. So uh, make this personal. I, I would go back to the food sitting there telling myself, I, I, I know this is going to hurt. I know I'm not going to stop, and I can't do anything else. I was like a passenger on a, a, a ship and, uh, or a plane, and it's just veering towards the ground, towards disaster, and I couldn't help it. I would just go in, irrevocably, inevitably back into the food, and, you know, if you have a mind like this, if your uh, willpower, if your best time and time, time again uh, brings you back to this, and just look at your history, look at your life, look at the choices you've made and how it's gone on your self-will. Because um, I used to think, I, I got this, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to get this. You know, I always felt like just around the corner uh, I was about to get a handle on this thing and get the diet uh, in shape and you know, lose the weight and get going in the right direction. And time and time again, I failed. So, so, so what's our recourse? If this is you, if this is, if you identify with this, 
we have to have that power greater than ourselves. If our small mind, our willpower is damaged and broken and unreliable, we turn to God, we turn to a spiritual awakening to find that necessary power. Um, and that's the great hope and the message, uh, and that's what we can celebrate today uh, on this line. And, and uh, I'm grateful to be here and be a part of this uh, fellowship. This is where I belong. Um, so I'm happy to uh, day in and day out uh, and, and for you know live this day in and day out. And for me, instead of going around saying, you know, I better get to work on time, I better get this and get that, you know, how can I be of service today? Thy will not mine be done. Um, I need reminders of that constantly. I'm no longer running the show. If I'm disturbed, I need to pause, slow down, ask for the right, next right thought and action. Um, so let's, uh, my encouragement is to do that today. And if you haven't done it, um, come aboard, uh, jump in, the water's fine. Uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jason K. All right, Ginger C., you are up, followed by Leah M. Thank you so much. Good morning, Anita. Thank you so much for leading, and what a powerful meeting, and feeling such gratitude that I found that God brought me to vision for you, this daily message of recovery that's so powerful. I mean, just what a gift. So don't I set the ball rolling, these seemingly unimportant decisions, okay? So I'm feeling irritated. I got a little halt, a little hungry, hungry and angry, and then setting myself up. I'm going to go to a bar for a sandwich? I don't think so, not if I'm an alcoholic. And, like, even with the food, if you're having a hard time and you're going down the one street and they have all those drive throughs go parallel one over. That's what I heard from a teacher. There's no drive throughs They're just houses. So I got to take care of this like my life depends on it because it does. One more bite, I don't think I'll come back. I really don't. So these uh, distractions, you know, to me, that's what addiction's all about. Anything to take the eye off the prize. And the prize is God, this higher power. And that's what it's about. Thinking it's not that big of a deal and it will pass. Well, that resentment could kill you because it's my number one offender. And so I have to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear all those minutes throughout my day. And it's a daily reprieve, and thank God we don't do it perfectly, and we get to wash, rinse, and repeat, and practice, and keep practicing, because that's what it's all about. The more I practice, the habits get created. So this morning, I woke up, I read page 86, those are my directions. Upon awakening, then I do my quiet time, and I sit with God. And I really didn't want to, because I was tired, and my head had a great thought, Jen, you're tired. Go back to sleep. It's only 4.15. You don't have to be on the meeting and check in until five minutes before. Now, thank God the next thought was get your butt out of bed because today's not showing up. Guess what? It's going to lead in tomorrow and then the next day and the next day. And then I'm eating and I'm wondering, well, how the hell did it happen again? You stop moving a muscle. You stop this practical program of action. So I am absolutely undisciplined and God help me. I need God's help all the time. I don't do this stuff. This isn't my makeup. It's not my wiring. It's not in me to do this work, this action. But with God, anything, everything is possible. So God is always to be. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Ginger. All right, Leah M., you are up, and then Elaine. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Thanks for your service. 
So, as we know in this story, you know, Jim agreed he was an alcoholic, and Jim agreed his disease was serious. A reminder that knowledge about my disease and its consequences and compulsive overeating isn't going to be enough for a real compulsive overeater like me. Because even after all the suffering, even after all the medical consequences that Jim experienced, the hospitalizations, the mental torture, uh, the loss of job and family, uh, his mind takes him back to that which was killing him, <laughs> a drink. And, you know, the same goes for me. The big book teaches me that to get over compulsive overeating is going to require transformation of thought and attitude for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater like me. Because under the heavy anesthetic of compulsive overeating, which I did for uh, two decades, there was numbness. Compulsive overeating was a desperate attempt to alleviate the pain of living. It seemed like food was the glue that kind of held me together and cut off all connections with reality and with life itself. It was my comfort zone, so to speak, uh, despite self-destructing under the guise of seeking comfort. Um, you know, when when I was ready for the program of recovery and put down those foods that was triggering the phenomenon of craving and abstinence took care of the allergy of the body, then I was introduced to the greater aspect of my disease, which is the obsession of the mind. Because when the food is down, I am a walking time bomb. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Because I may no longer be a slave to the food and the phenomenon of craving, yet enslavement still threatens people like me. You know, my big book says, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. We're not talking about food anymore once the food is down. Food has nothing to do with it anymore. Talking about how I live my life, how I think, what prism am I looking through at the world? So, you know, that is where uh, the, the rubber hits the road for someone like me because I need to learn how to live life. And the big book gives me the opportunity through tools, spiritual in nature, so that I no longer need a substance in a cellophane bag and a bakery box to seek ease and comfort. You know, my, my original uh, sponsor called it the art of living undisturbed, and I get to do that every day, and I must do that every day, and for that, I am grateful. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Leah M. All right, um, Elaine E. from New Jersey. Good morning. My name is Eileen. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm I believe think that was Eileen from New Jersey. Yeah, she's telling um, me. She yeah, she'll tell me. Eileen. Thank yes, you. Yes, Eileen. Eileen. Thank you. Um, thank you for your service. So yeah, I love this story. I love this story. Um it says, uh, one of the things that jumps out at me, it says, Yes, he got drunk again. Again, which means he did it many, many times. They ask him to tell what happened, which means they're looking at examining his relapse. Not that that helped him in the past. Um, and then he came to work on Tuesday, and I asked, well, what happened to Monday? So we know he missed work on Monday. Um, it says that he was irritated, and I wonder, is this his natural state, um, or is he just detoxing from the alcohol? Um, he lost his business, which was a consequence of his his drinking. He had a few words with his boss, which he says is nothing serious, but to an alcoholic, 
you know, Bill Wilson says that we react more strongly to frustrations than normal people. And I believe this to be true also of the compulsive overeater, that I react more strongly to frustrations than a normal person. I, I'm extremely sensitive. And these, this can be deadly. And holding a grudge or a resentment can also be deadly and grave. And it says that even in the big book. So what does he do? He gets in his car and he runs. He runs to escape. He thinks that leaving is going to help him get away from it. But what he does is he's really running to a drink. That's what he does. And that's what I do when I'm feeling really strong emotions. I try at first to kind of run away from it. I do everything I can to run away from the potential of eating when in reality what ends up happening is the more I try to run, the more I end up pulling myself back into potentially eating. Unless I pick up that 1,000-pound phone and reach out to another compulsive overeater, I am doomed. And if I want to sabotage myself, which I so often do, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to break my abstinence. Um, I never have the intention of binging or overeating. But my mind plays tricks on me every single time. And it, it plays tricks because I lie to myself. And that's one of the characteristics of being an addict, um, lying. Um, and many times I've been safe, like, like this guy Jim. Oh, I've been to that place before and I've been fine. You know, many times I've been safe in an environment. But when I'm struggling or I'm feeling emotionally compromised, I know not to go in certain places. You know, I don't belong. I don't belong in a Dunkin' Donuts getting a cup of coffee if I'm struggling. You know, I need to make a cup of coffee at home where my environment is safe and take it with me. You know, I don't need to be stopping at Dunkin' Donuts for a cup of coffee. I can tell you that right now. So um, what I can tell you for today, I'm safe. I'm safe on this call, I'm safe in the rooms, and I'm safe with, with, with the people in my fellowship that love and understand me. And as long as I have a connection with my higher power on a daily basis, this disease is at bay. But it's an incurable disease. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm not cured. I'm never cured. <clears throat> anyway, thank you for letting me share. You all have a fantastic, wonderful day. Thank you so much, Eileen. I have one minute, maybe a minute and a half. Who wants it? Carmela G. All right, Carmela, go ahead. Thank you so much, Anita. This is Carmela G., a grateful compulsive overeater recovered for today. This exact thing is what I did for years, and I couldn't understand why I always went for the food. Lie to myself. Mm-hmm not admit my what I was feeling. And it's, it's usually a resentment, but sometimes it's a sadness and a fear or a loneliness. And I don't want to admit that I have those human feelings. So I go to the old friend as my solution. And that was all related to the dishonesty of not telling myself, Carmela, you're human. Give it to God. He loves you perfectly, and you will be okay, and that should be the solution, not my food. 
Thank you so, so much. Have a great day, and I pass. Hey, thank you, Carmela G., a wonderful wrap-up. I want to thank um, everyone who shared, and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today's 7 a.m. meeting is 13,083-13083. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Ginger C., please read that for us. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away your wreckage of the past. Give freely of what you have and join us and find us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge this road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.